Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Stepping Out. This is Kaz and I have a new episode. Hooray! I've been pretty busy lately actually studying and looking for work uh, and I've got a new job yes and just generally dealing with my children um, that sounds awful doesn't it dealing with looking after them nurturing them nourishing them and appreciating them and they're really are beautiful how are you I hope things have got a bit more back to normal whatever that looks like for you in the last few months it's been a real roller coaster hasn't it I thought I'd got away with it but Covid has just caught up with me with um, me going to a party last week. It was well worth it though because it was a right old 70s dance off. Loved it and thankfully I'm not suffering too much from it today. So best case scenario. Let me tell you about today's guest Greg Wilson. Greg is a pal of mine and I talked to him all about his life from army to civvy street to finding a new life back in the area where he lived as a child in Malcop. We talked about kayaking, his giving up drinking, his heart attack, and how he appreciates his life with his dog in his local landscape. So, without further ado, get some shoes on, plug your headphones in, and let's get walking. Hi Greg, how are you? I'm good, yes, very good. It's Blaze's birthday today, so we're, we're having a good day. Oh, and you need to tell everybody who Blaze is. Blaze, Blaze is my uh, dog. He's a, a northern Inuit crossed with a Tamascan. Um, oh, and he's gorgeous. And he's lucky he's got two years old. Some of the times he's performed, but... <laughs> oh, yeah. Go on, then. Tell us about he's, that. Oh, he's, well, just bringing up a, a, a puppy as a sort of, you know, single guy, it's a nightmare sometimes. I think the, there are a few times I picked things up and threw them on the floor in frustration. What are they bred for? Um, they're bred for pets. I remember a lot of people, uh, when the Game of Thrones came out, they all started wanting to buy a wolf and they all bought huskies. And huskies are very difficult to look after. They're beautiful dogs, but most owners can't let them off the lead because they just run us. They just want to run away. So, uh, so yeah, a lot of people bought those, but these were, these were, these were used as pets. So they used, it was the in, Northern Inuits they used in the, in the programming, actually. But, uh, but he's just a pet. Oh, lovely. And we'll talk a little bit about walking with him later. But where are you? Your whereabouts are you living at the moment? Uh, I'm living in Mao Cop. I've been here six months and loving every minute of it. It's uh, technically it's a mountain because it's over a thousand feet. But it's a big chunk of rock that sits between Cheshire and Staffordshire. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, there's a ridge line, um, sort of obviously a, a geological fault. And from the top, there's there's on there there's uh, there's Malcop, there's, there's a castle which is actually a folly, which was built late eighteen hundreds by a chap who obviously had too much money, and he built a summer house in the shape of a of a, a castle that had obviously been fallen into ruin. But from the top here, we can see six counties. Uh, it's fabulous. Wow! And what so where does that where's that name from? Then Malcop, did you say? Yes. I don't really know. Well, well, Mao is hill, and I think Cop is top. Top of the hill. Yeah, top of the hill. Because it is one hill, isn't it? It's, it's a small, really small village, isn't it? With, with yeah, it's quite one a... hill. <laughs> well, it's sort of a. <laughs> it, it, it's a sort of. There are villages sort of dotted on the way up. Yes, yeah, a big village, but uh, yeah, it's a village on the top of a of a a mountain, technically. Yeah, and I bet you get some weather up there, because I don't know about you, but the weather here has been, I'm in the southeast, it's been completely crazy. 
we've had I went for a walk was it yesterday no day before and uh I had full sun I had rain I had sleet and I had heavy snowflakes and then back to sun again and as I was walking along this kind of valley area about to climb up a really big hill you know it Ivinghoe Beacon yes um there I could see the weather moving all around me and I wasn't quite sure which direction it was going to go and luckily when I got to the top the great big grey cloud that I could see sort of moved away. But you, being up there, you must see all sorts of, especially if you can see that lovely view below. It's fabulous. It really is. The view is fantastic from from every direction. And and what's, I mean, we had very, well, we had the similar weather, but but you can imagine on the top, it can get really, really windy. Yeah. Um, but you can stand up there and you can literally sort of be blown around. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we have we've had very similar weather: rain, sleet, snow, sunshine, all within an hour. Yeah, yeah, uh, and then back again. But it's that time um, of year as well at the moment. Yeah, what's really fascinating though is to stand on the top and see the weather rolling in. Mm. You know, the clouds, or where the sun's coming across, or, or you know, covering the clouds, or a rainstorm coming in it's really you know big rainstorm is fascinating mm. to watch coming in yeah i love that i've got a real thing about seeing rain in the distance coming out of clouds mm. it's just weird isn't yeah. it it looks like a kind of like someone's painted it with a kind of gray yeah. paintbrush and because it doesn't look like rain no but it is oh yeah i just find that i love looking i had that the other day that's what i was saying is just you know i could see all these rain clouds the rain creates the wind that's why it sort of gets windy before it rains yeah. because the rain is is pushing the air down yeah. and blowing the wind yeah. there. So you've had to get some uh, some good weather gear for there because that's where you come from, isn't it? That part of the country, even though you've moved around quite a bit. Yeah, originally. Well, I was born in Blythebridge, which is Staffordshire, which isn't that far from here. And then basically, I, I sort of was brought up in Sandbach, which is over on the Cheshire side, uh-huh. um, until sort of seventeen and a half, and then I joined the army. So yeah. Tell us about that, right? So you joined the army. Whereabouts were you based? What did you do? Oh, long story. Number of places. <laughs> uh, yeah, long. Well, it's twenty-two years long. Crikey. Um Joined in nineteen eighty. I sort of uh, left left sixth form. I think my parents were a bit disappointed, but um, didn't go to university and decided that I was going to be a, a draftsman or something in the army and. I've been pretty much all over the world. I did the Falklands in 82, which is obviously the, the weekend. This weekend is sort of the um, mm-hmm. 40th anniversary. Where else have I been? Canada, America, all over Europe, everywhere really, apart from Australasia. One of the most interesting places was up in the Arctic. I worked there for the Canadian government for four months. Right. Um, sort of, if you imagine, sort of two o'clock in the morning, drunk wearing sunglasses playing baseball on the ice pack <laughs> with with the only audience watching you was a sort of local pack of wolves really fascinating fascinating place sunshine it was obviously 24 hour sunshine during the summer amazing yeah uh, what an experience very odd very odd to sort of come out of a building at two o'clock in the morning and it's brilliant sunshine I get, you know, we've all kind of experienced that jet lag type thing where, and I remember going to America with work and uh, being really screwed up by the timings and coming out of the hotel room and it being bright sunshine and my brain just went, no, it should be the night time. It's really strange, isn't it? But all the time, yeah. must be really weird. 
it is the sun sort of just goes around the top of your head sort of in a, in a sort of quite a narrow circle uh, sort of high yeah. summer yeah, but yeah. um i mean one day i actually got to plus 12 degrees really? which you wouldn't expect in the arctic and what did you do in the army tell me all about that uh i was royal engineer best corps in the planet was it so everybody in the royal engineers is primarily first a soldier then they have a combat engineer trade which is a sort of demolitions mine warfare bridging watermanship and so on so that's the sort of it's a teeth arm which is which is looked as a, a combat arm but we support everybody in the battlefield for well this they say first in and last out and, and why they say that really is because usually you've got an enemy has, has laid minefields so you've got to get through the minefields to actually advance and then when we're running away or well we don't run away we retreat <laughs> um, <laughs> tactically uh then you know you've got to destroy bridges you've got to lay minefields you've got to do route denial that sort of thing so that's what that's what we do as a, as a in a combat role and then in a sort of artisan role uh all engineers are everything from electricians plumbers uh chippies plant operate mechanics uh draftsmen surveyors huge raft of different sort of trades and and mine, I was a construction materials technician, which right. uh, we were called moles within the army, within the engineers, because we were always digging in the ground. And it's basically site investigation, materials analysis. So in theory, I can identify an area to use for construction materials. I can get them dug out. I can then design an airfield and then blow it up. Oh, so the, across the board. In theory. Right. Whether well, I can actually okay. do that's a big thing. <laughs> it's different it's thing, same but, but in theory, different. yeah. And that's obviously a big part of your life. You say was it twenty two years? Twenty two years, yeah. So that's um, that stayed with you. Yeah, I joined in uh, sort of as I say, seventeen and a half, and um, the first sort of six months is service to the Queen, and you start your your colour service is is from your eighteenth birthday, and and I got out the day before my. Um, 40th birthday which is the end of your as a, a non-commissioned officer it's the end of your combat career basically and how did that feel well i was reasonably prepared because I'd, I'd bought a house sort of back way back in sort of 85 which i didn't live in i rented out but so i owned a house and then i started living in the houses i had so i knew the the sort of civic street of you know doctors dentists paying your gas bill paying electricity bill which a lot of soldiers don't sort of realize unfortunately they sort of spend the sort of whole period within the apron strings of the military and then when they come out there's quite a few that sort of find it very difficult to readjust yeah yeah because if you've never done it before it's all the things we do as we go along isn't it but if you yeah. if you've been in there since the age of 17 left home never done it why would you know how to do it so yeah really important i mean i did ask a sort of girlfriend at the time what do we do about doctors and she said well you just go to a doctor's and sign on but mm. i don't know <laughs> no because you so, had it, everything provided for you in the yeah army. yeah your food your medical everything you mm-hmm. know the sort of roof over your head so absolutely and um presumably you know, you took part in a lot of exercises and did a lot of exercise in there. Mm. And I remember you telling me the story about, um, go on, tell me the story about the bloody boots and the walking. <laughs> oh, that was, 
there's a couple of walks that, that obviously being military, we sort of, we like to enter into these. And there's a, a walk called Nijmegen, which is in Holland. It's uh, 25 miles a day for four days, carrying a 40 pound pack. Wow. And there's, there's, civilians do it. There's, there's sort of a number of different routes, but it's, it's a sort of fabulous thing to participate in because there's thousands of people walking it. And, and the military, obviously, uses it as a sort of, not training, but competitively between countries, between different militaries. And they have a massive uh, camp uh, near my Nijmegen. And you sort of march out from about, about three, four in the morning, do your 25 miles back to the, the base and then get uh, very drunk in the beer tent. With the, we are sort of you know with a sort of multinational military personnel, mm-hmm. and then start off the next day. But and obviously when you start off, you're quite hungover, so it's probably a few miles in before you notice you're walking. <laughs> but uh, I do remember one day I was walking and and I looked down at the chap in front of me, and I thought, what's down his boots? And the blood was actually oozing out of the seams, oh, the heel man. of his boot. Uh, it must have been in. Well, you know, it must have been a lot of pain, but... Uh, yeah. And we all got some severe blisters. I bet. Yeah, I mean, those boots have to be properly worn in. When I do my events, you know, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, you know, don't get any trainers just before you do it. Don't... No, no. And, but then we've got trainers, and then are really soft, and already I can literally get mine out of the box because, mm. you know, whatever uh, make I buy, I make, that's, the, that's the make I buy, get them straight out. I could probably do a 25k straight off without any problems at all in them because they're designed like that. Whereas boots, you have to properly wear them oh, in. The old boots back in the, the 80s, the DMS, they were called, direct moulded sold, I think it came, but they were they were terrible. They weren't very waterproof. Evil. They were rigid. Yeah. Yeah. They were so uncomfortable. And the, the things you did to break them in. Like what? In the bath? bath water the, the you know everybody you know, people used to say pee in them and the urea would break soften the leather loads of stories but uh <laughs> you know covering them in dubbing polish you just because you do you do a lot i mean when we when i first joined we used to do our bft which is a basic fitness test uh-huh. uh mile and a half as a squad and then a, a mile and a half in your best time back so really it's a sort of uh, a sprint if you like for you know for a mile and a half back and that was done in boots and that oh. used to really hammer people's feet and knees oh. um the Almost, what's the, the point you know well that's it i mean, I mean f- you know find a good pair of boots <laughs> yeah i mean not what's the point in doing it because obviously that's to try and push you to the point where you know if you were out in the field you'd be able to um, push yourself but yeah well, it was, it, yes, it does push you, but the, oh, I don't know, I suppose it was the, the sort of late 80s, they, they basically realised that it was just ruining people's knees mm. uh, unnecessarily, and, and we started doing it in trainers then, and they cut yeah. the time down that you, I think they cut the time down by about 30 seconds, so you had mm. to do it in a certain time. When I first joined, it was, well, if you don't do it in that time, you're out. <laughs> uh out of the army um because you're not fit enough but as the sort of years progressed it was well they'd back party you or you know you'd get a second chance and it got softer 
yeah so because it was the fitness really that they're after so yes give the right equipment and and it's a bit different these days isn't it but that must have been really really tricky and how often did you um need to do things like that I mean as in exercise was it on a weekly basis back then did you you know whilst you doing um, your job did you have to go out and do loads of marches and stuff how did it go there's a, a troop there's a saying in the army hurry up and wait so you're all rushing around to get somewhere or do something and then when you get mm-hmm. there you hang around and wait for things to happen but mm-hmm. um but a typical week would be pt twice a week on a say a tuesday and a, a thursday morning and you'd do sort of anything from a you might do a bft one week uh you might do an eight miler you might do 10 miles depending on the sort of fitness of the troop mm-hmm. and then you'd get back change and then have naffy break which is the sort of navy army air forces institute the sort of the, the cafe on the camp if you like so you'd all yeah. have naffy and then start work after that 10 30 and we used to do a multitude of things, you know, you'd, you'd train, you'd do weapons training, you'd do cleaning the base, <laughs> prep for a visit. You know, it's odd that I sort of think back and I think, what did I actually do? Mm. <laughs> yeah, because you're also a kayaking instructor as well, weren't you? Yes, yes. I, uh, that, that's sort of one of my, my loves. Mm-hmm. How did you get into that into, in the army then? What, what was, how did that come well, about? I got into it uh, um, before the army with my my father. He's, he was a teacher um, and he was a, a mature student and he went to teacher training college. He was into his woodwork and building things and he got involved with the canoe club there, building canoes because canoes used to be made out of fiberglass and the kayaks yeah. used to be made out of fiberglass and they were two halves and made out separately and then you glued them together and... And seeing as I was only a little child, I was always stuffed into the kayak with the fiberglass resin and asked to sort of glue it together. And there's a couple of times they pulled me out. I was virtually unconscious with the fumes. <laughs> <laughs> All stuck together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think they. I think eventually what they did is they got an air compressor and took me in with a little hose pipe, little hose that pumped air in so I didn't die. No. <laughs> It would, it would be child abuse nowadays, but uh, but it was good fun. <laughs> like a sort of chimney sweep. Yes, so, yes. So then you, so what did you already had that kind of um, knowledge then? Uh, did you actually kayak when you were a child as well? Uh, yeah, we built our own canoes. So we had sort of tanks so we didn't break them. But uh, yeah, we were kayaking from about, oh, I don't know, sort of 10 onwards, I suppose, maybe. And then I sort of joined the army and and got into it there and on and off through the army I got my kayak instructor so um, I used to do things like expeds expeditions Uh, fabulous one to do is coast to coast up the Great Fault Fort Ness uh, Fort William to Inverness yeah brilliant brilliant times I've sort of done that one time we did it with open canoes unsupported that was when I was with the RAF I was working with the RAF at the time at Strike Command and then another time I did it uh, with the army with guys and we took uh, vehicles and, and supported it. So, uh, but I do remember being in one of the, we had three Canadian canoes, as we call them, mm-hmm. uh, open canoes. And we, uh, we'd rigged a, a sail out of parachute silk and we sort of rigged a mast in the, in the sort of middle canoe. And we were sailing up a couple of the locks and the, the big power boat, or the, not the power boats, but the motor cruisers come alongside us and 
and photograph us sort of cruising up with a wake behind us. How exciting. It was, you know, seven, eight o'clock in the morning when you're on a lake, you know, a lock in Scotland yeah. and it's a sunny day and you've just got the mirror of the water. Amazing. Brilliant. Yeah, just so beautiful. And that love has carried on, has it? In fact, that's how we met, wasn't it? Because yes. we met on a kayak safety course. And um, from memory, I think we we ended up sitting on the same bench and then we had a conversation about not drinking. Mm-hmm. And then I think I seem to remember I saved your life, didn't I? You tried to drown me. <laughs> <laughs> I tried my best. You were well, supposed okay. to save my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was awful because Okay, so just to uh, to add a little bit of context to this. So we had to capsize ourselves one at a time and then your partner would come up. So paddle up really, really quickly to the boat and then pull up alongside and then take both hands inside where the person was sitting and pull the boat back over, right? So in itself, you know, as you can hear, that that sounds pretty tricky. Um, I tried. I got you over halfway, didn't I? (laughs) And then he just plopped back in. Yeah. And then that was it. He went, so I can't hold my breath anymore waiting for you. (laughs) Just swam out the boat. So you've never, um, yeah, you've never forgotten that and remind me of that. No, I do. But it was a really good course, wasn't it? (laughs) It was. It was a good course, wasn't it? It was good it fun. Was. Yeah. And then and that's because we were in the same canoe club and um, well, you've done lots of things with that club. I did, I wasn't in it for that long, but funnily enough, I went to Lee Valley yesterday. Oh, cool. And, oh, yes. I yeah, saw on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. You used to go and well, attack those rapids down there, didn't you? Quite a bit. Yes, so that's yes. carried on. I did. Um, I was bank support, actually, for one of the, the international slalom events. That was that was uh, really good sort of week oh, saw those guys there yesterday with their little um because that's what we had to do wasn't it throw the lines in to people yes. when we did that course yeah and uh, yeah they're all dotted around the course it's fascinating isn't yes. it that, how they how the water actually swirls around and it's all man-made it's brilliant yeah it is it's quite exciting to do it's good fun yeah. particularly you know in a kayak it's brilliant but for people that, that sort of don't do that it, you know it's great when they they sort of join a uh, a team and go on one of the uh, the boats so was that what you were doing yeah. or just yeah, no I wasn't doing it just watching it yeah so and we saw some people come down on the raft but what so what was the um which was the bit you went down then in your kayak is that the back part or is that like the main bit that goes down did you do both uh no I I tended to be on the legacy course which is the sort of smaller of the two yeah, because in a kayak, it's pretty hairy, isn't it, that other bit? Yeah, there's the Olympic course, and I sort of, well, moving up here, I haven't got the access to it, and I was sort of thinking about moving on to the, the sort of Olympic course before I moved, but uh, but never actually did it, so. Yeah, it's great, it's great fun, really good. I've not been on it because I was a bit mm. scared. I didn't, I was, I'm relatively good in a kayak, but in terms of, going down rapids just yet hmm. uh, I, don't know, maybe I should have come with you to get a bit of experience you should have done white water's fun but you so that because you used to live where I live at the moment uh, um but then you moved back up to where you are now yes so what's life like there because I know that you've got um obviously you had a different job when you left the army which is what's your current job uh, I'm a um, an account manager or client manager for a health and safety consultancy in London. So you you do that part time now, but decided to kind of sell the house down in Tring and move up where you are now, Malcop. And it's really changed your life quite a bit, hasn't it? Because you've gone more part time with work, and mm-hmm. obviously you're now in a different area. 
you had not long had Blaze when you were down here, so yes. you've grown up a bit. So how's that sort of changed your whole lifestyle um, in terms of getting out there? And I know you love walking. So how's mm. that changed everything? Well, I suppose, I mean, it, it all stems really from from stopping drinking and the sort of failure of a, a relationship, a long-term relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then I was sort of I mean as, an, as a soldier I always say that I've drank more more in my lifetime than some people have in 10 which which is mm. probably very true and isn't really a good thing mm. but um yeah I was in a relationship where we where we were drinking a lot uh and and I I, I just thought I've got to stop drinking you know it's, it's not doing me any good and I stopped really to sort of try and make my partner at the time stopped uh she didn't so um so you know the relationship finished and I actually thought well I'm actually quite enjoying not drinking um so I'd stopped drinking I was sort of enjoying enjoying my life uh doing a lot of things sober um in fact I've not given up drinking I'm just not drinking at the moment mm. but how long has it been three three over three years yeah, so I love the way you say that. I'm just not drinking at the moment because it's such yeah. a brilliant way to look at it. Um, I gave up for one year and it was mm. just fabulous because you can get kind of addicted to giving up, can't you? Yes. So it's like it becomes a bit of a hobby. So like you say, oh, I'm just not drinking at the moment. If you see it like that, then there's no real pressure to carry no. on with it. You do. Nobody can say to me that, you know, oh, you, you didn't last, you know, you'd given up and now you haven't. I mean, I'm sat here looking at about, I don't know, four hundred pound of single malt whiskies easily. Mm, mm-hmm. You switched it off. Yeah, yeah. Maybe one day I might have a single malt whiskey, but there's no pressure on me because I haven't given up, so I can do it anytime I want. Yeah, we'll make sure that first time you you invite me up. <laughs> yeah, we'll, <get laughs> we'll make it a good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, that's the thing, because I, I mean, like I said, I gave up for a year and then it got to Christmas of that year. Um, and I was like, oh, it's fancy, don't drink. And then I started and then lockdown hit and then I had to homeschool my children. And mm. I always use that as an excuse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, Kids will drive um, you to drink. It, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, totally. But, you know, if anyone out there is thinking about doing it, even short term, three months, six months, it is a brilliant thing to do. And it, it really I felt great. Um just from the fact that I just felt like I had so much more time and that sounds yes. so stupid because now if I have a drink I don't not do the things I, I don't think I you know don't do the things I would have done but there's something about it it's just frees your mind it's just the yeah. clarity obviously um physically it's great and you lose weight straight away which is what happened to you wasn't it yes yes I sort of uh, lost weight well I lost I think a couple of stone mm. which uh and I was sort of sat at home one day and I'd, I'd bought my partner out of the house so I owned the house myself and I was sat there and I was thinking why uh, it was about nine o'clock at night I was working away and I was thinking why am I doing this why and I, I figured it out that that before I even fed myself I was spending two thousand pounds a month and I thought why mm-hmm. I don't need to be here uh, I know we talked about it I was even thinking about emigrating wasn't I and we sort of talked I remember we were sat in that coffee shop having a chat yeah and uh and I was thought it like, Spain you were thinking it about was, going to, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, mm. I was gonna I was gonna uh, be an expat in Spain or I think that you know talking to everybody and and my parents helped me out a little bit and I thought right well why don't I move back up home so I did so 
here I am. And, and I didn't think for an instant that I'd sort of be where I am. I was thinking, well, Cheshire's a bit flat. Mm -hmm. The walking is not brilliant. The water's not downhill. But yeah, Maricop is fantastic. So I haven't looked back. Fitness is great. Yeah. And also just just generally, I mean, obviously living here in commute about everything's ridiculously expensive, but you've managed to secure yourself a a mansion compared to down here (laughs) for about 50 pence, which is great. But um, but also you're surrounded by such amazing countryside. So you've got the benefit of both worlds and you know the fact that you can go part-time and mm. reduce your hours and have longer to walk with your yes. dog that must just be that just must feel so freeing well I'm down to in January I cut down to four days end of February I cut down to three which I'm on now and then the end of May I cut down to two days a week and I mean I'm very lucky with with work allowing me to do that so you know I'm very thankful to them but it allows me just to to sort of do spend some time to myself and get more walking. I mean, I sit up here and I look down at the, you know, the view and I, I sort of call it Toy Town. The sort of all the mm. the 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 urbanisation that you can see below and and if I need to, it's ten minutes down to Tesco's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, but also you've got your caravan and you've yes. got all your toys as you call them, your kayak yeah. and what else have you got? You've got your playboat, haven't you? Uh, well, I got uh, an inflatable sea eagle two-man boat, which I can take the dog in. Blaze, he mm. comes in it with me. Brilliant. Uh, then I've got a little play boat, and I've got a plastic boat. Uh, well, both plastic, but a sort of slalom or a white water boat. Uh, my mountain bike, my air rifle, which I spent far too much money on and don't use enough, and really one of those sort of impulsive buys which i shouldn't have done but uh but yeah so i've got all my toys and i can sort of You're like james bond <laughs> i wish <laughs> all the money and the ladies <laughs> yeah but you've got all that and that's that's just a lovely way to be isn't it just to have that option to go out and say okay i'm gonna take my my kayak and go because um i remember where was it you went and you spotted those seals was it cornwall or something like that? uh no that was pembrokeshire Oh, that's right. Yeah, just took yourself yeah. off and did that. I remember si- sitting in the, the uh, just outside a harbour. It was quite bad weather, so nobody but the idiot myself was sort of sat there. And there was a seal, and it was because seals sleep vertically mm. um, in the water, and it was mm-hmm. sort of just having a snooze. And and I was alongside it for a, I don't know, probably it seemed like a long time, but it was a, probably a, three or four minutes. But uh, it was it was sort of I was just sat there and, and we were only I you know I could have touched it with my paddle and then suddenly wow. it opened his eyes and I think I nearly gave a heart attack because it okay. was not expecting to see me there. No idea. <laughs> uh, and away it went. So but yeah, that's brilliant. Sealed the deal and it was off. Um, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> so that that's lovely. And I, I was going to ask you what so what's your favourite bit then about being out in nature? Would you say it's seeing animals? Is it just generally? walking in the in the woods in the in on the hills what, what's your favorite part do you think it's everything it's all of that it's sort of the freedom uh, of being out and it doesn't matter what weather it is there's there's no such thing as bad weather there's just bad equipment mm-hmm. and I always remember being told that and, and as long as you've got the right equipment it doesn't matter what the weather is and no. and it's just you know I mean you could be out walking in the rain and it could be enjoyable I love that it's just 
Yeah. You know, you can sort of channel your thoughts and sort out all your problems and mm. and sort of, you know, by the time you got back, they're not as big as when they left. No, within five minutes, haven't they? Kind of started to dissipate, <laughs> yeah. I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But you see so much nature that you just wouldn't see normally. Yeah, it, it's and it, and it, it's the best way of getting you fit. It is. Yeah, I've got a bit thing about woodpeckers at the moment because there are loads of them drilling holes in trees. Mm. And they're so loud, just, aren't they? Oh, they are, especially when there's not many leaves on the trees and you can hear yeah. them echoing around the woods. It, there's mm. something so cathartic about that. It's absolutely lovely. So how long would you say you walk for a week then? What, how, what are the length of yeah. your walks in general? Well, yesterday I did a two-hour walk with Blaze and then uh, then went for a paddle with well Blaze and Sarah and then went for a paddle for about an hour and a half in the canal Fab. but a typical day I would say is anything from two to three hours walking oh wonderful that's that's sort of over sort of three three sessions typically I'll get for an hour in the morning uh, an hour in the evening or sort of late afternoon uh, and then sort of half an hour 11 12 o'clock at night which is which is really nice sort of that time at night mm. and that's what I say to a lot of people is um I, th- I think people think I'm mental when I say oh, I've just been out for a little 25k or whatever <laughs> yes. and often I'm training to do something but what I do say is you know you don't have to go out for very you don't have to go out for a big distance but also no. you can go out in stages so you yeah. can go out for half an hour like you say uh, in the morning or the evening and by the time you join all of that together whatever time you've got I often hear people say to me, um, I just don't have time to do that. I don't have time to do that. And okay, three or four hours out of the day, that's a long time. Mm. Um, but you but you don't need to, to get the benefits of the nature and uh, exercise no. and obviously a little bit of distance, you can split it up over those. Um, yeah, those half, sessions, even probably. half an hour. You know, go out mm. for half an hour and you get the benefit and you'll you'll soon sort of notice, I mean, where I am now, there's a, there's a, in Maucop, there's a thing called the killer mile, which is mm-hmm. a mile from obviously a bottom up to the top. And the first time I did that, I was, I was, I was just out walking. I didn't realize how far I was going and I was out in my Wellingtons. And by the time I got to the top back home, well, by the time I got back home, I was absolutely knackered. <laughs> I was sweating. <laughs> I was thinking, whoa. <laughs> But uh, but I do that a couple of times a week now and don't even notice it now. And and it's just that you don't you know, you don't have to try hard. You just your 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 fitness builds up. Um, So, yeah, it's 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 great. It is really great. And that's exactly what happens, I think. Um, you know, I mean, in terms of distance, again, you know, people can go oh, 50, oh no, 50 kilometers, 100, no way. But it's all about doing five, yeah. then seven, then 10, yeah. then 15. Then, and, you, you know, and it depends on what you want to do. You could stick at 10 and say, yeah. oh, that's it. That's my maximum. That's what I do all the time. But actually, what might happen is, you know, you do the 10, you do the 15, you think, oh, I'm just going to enter a little event, only 25K, yeah. it's fine. Oh, great, that was easy. I had a little chat on the way around with a friend, brilliant, or met somebody there and did it. And then you can move on and move on until in the end you're doing crazy, stupid things that like I do, where you do 100 kilometres overnight. <laughs> yeah, and I've done it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just so rewarding and that's it, isn't it? Like you said, it builds your fitness. So even if you have a dog or don't have a dog and you're just going out for a local walk, the fitness is always going to be yeah. in there somewhere. Well, I had my heart attack in 2015. <clears throat> you did? Yeah, yeah, I had a heart attack in 2015. And I remember the the um, surgeon afterwards um, 
sort of saying, well, what do you do fitness wise? I said, well, I said, I walk my dog. And, and as soon as I'd said that, he said, that is the best fitness ever. Mm-hmm. He says, getting out, walking your dog calms you down and gives you the exercise yeah. at the same time. It's the yeah, old, because also you, you have to do it. Yeah. And it's the old, how do you de- eat an elephant? Well, you eat an elephant a bite at a time. doesn't matter exactly. how big something is, just a bit at mm-hmm. a time. Yeah, and I guess from the army, you learned that as well, like building up your fitness mm. and having to do stuff and learn things. And yeah, walking is a, it's just exactly the same. Yeah. And you just become so uh, into it. You know, once you've, I've introduced a, a number of people to it just inadvertently and, and they've said, oh, I'm fancy doing that. Let's do it. And um, now the entering events and, you know, it, it's a real, I think it happens to a lot of people. It really does. Right. Okay. So I'm going to ask you the stepping out signature question. Yeah. If you could walk with anyone then here or passed on famous or not, who would that be? Where would you walk and what would you ask them? Hmm. Uh, that's, it's, it's like the old, dinner party isn't it who who would you have at the dinner party yes i've always i've always sort of looked at it, music and interest and 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 what i like and there's a there's a couple i, I would say there's something like che Guevara, not because of his marxist views because of his his motorcycle adventures when he was younger on the sort of american continent or southern continent but i think it would be David Attenborough. If oh, I could walk with anybody, it would be David Attenborough, Attenborough in the Galapagos. Fabulous. Um, it's yeah. somewhere, why, why there? Well, it's somewhere I've always wanted. I mean, I'm fascinated with nature and, and sort of obviously being out in the, in the kayak, being walking, all the sort of things I do, mountain biking, you all, you see it and just, just the animals. And, and the Galapagos is sort of such a, a group of islands that was was cut off from everywhere else so has advanced on its own and the animals mm-hmm. are so different and yeah I, I think if i could spend a sort of a week walking with the attenborough around the galapagos without any interruptions i mean he's got i, I envy his job oh um, me too just he's amazing isn't he he is what is he now he's 90 or something he's about yeah i think he's he's a sort of He's a legend, isn't he? He's his, and God forbid, when we lose him, we will have lost a, a, mm. a, a huge one and only country. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's amazing. Yeah, he, he's absolutely amazing. And what would you ask him if you got a particular question that you'd like to ask him? Um, well, I'd be interested in how he he got into sort of how his interests sort of evolved. And I'd, I'd, I'd like to sort of, uh, I suppose I'd like to know where, what was his most scariest moment? Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of lion ones probably in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't know whether it's always, it's not always the big things that are the scary things. True. You know, it can be, it can be a location or a, you know, the location you're in at the time. It could be something like, I don't know, a snake or, or yeah. There's, there's, there's lots of things that, that sort of it could be, but yeah, I'd like to know what was his most scariest moment. And I would also like to know what was the moment that he would say that he would never forget the most, you know, we all, we all have things that we'll never forget, but what's, what's the, what was the biggest thing 
that he encountered that that will will take with him to his grave yeah and smile back on good question i think i'd probably end up getting caught in some kind of conversation with him about a particular butterfly and its wings or something like that and then the whole kind of war could be over but oh I could have asked about 150 questions because he's so knowledgeable about every single thing, isn't he? You know, it'd be so difficult not to go into huge amounts of detail about each thing. Oh, wow. And it's it's the the sort of I mean, I'm fascinated with the sort of the the less lovable creatures. And that would be the sort of the spiders, the snakes, the insects, the sort of uh, the reptiles. And he's just, you know, so much about them. And they're just, yeah. uh, you know, even the, even, even the sort of small spiders and you sort of, they're all there for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike us, <laughs> but they're all, you know, they're there for a reason and they sort of fit in the, the whole system. It's just yeah. even it, marine. Yeah. Marine as well. Shark, sharks are fascinating. Oh, we'd need a long time. I think you need more, more than two weeks. You'd need a good six you months would. with that guy. Yeah. He's the big one. And the areas, well, the Galapagos, I mean, it's it's sunny. <laughs> yeah. uh, you get a good need town. A bit of that at the just, moment. Yeah, yeah, we do. We all need a bit of that. Mind you, we've had a few good days and then snow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, no, it's just nice to think of places to go abroad, isn't it, sometimes for those mm. kind of, Just difference as well. I was talking to somebody the other day about Madeira and... Um, the diversity of um, animals there, um, it just really fascinates me. And I almost went on a trip when I was at um, uni, actually. I did animal science at uni and mm. one of the trips was to go there. And for some reason I didn't go. And I've always said I want to go there because the birds and the butterflies are amazing there. And just There's just so many places on earth. I think COVID's kind of put a bit of a bit of a dampener for a few years. But now it's time to plan to go to these places before we're too old greg yeah our bucket lists we need to Let's we need to it. get on with them i do remember once uh, a funny uh, story i was in uh, it was in africa uh, and it was on a holiday and uh, we were sort of we were walking from we'd walk from the hotel and i always used to just sort of uh, either walk or take the sort of local transport rather than the sort of touristy sort of things and We'd, we'd got off this walk so far and then got off this bus and we were walking towards and it was sort of, it was a zoo that we mm-hmm. were sort of going to. Uh, and we were walking through the bush and then I suddenly stopped and there was a monitor lizard and it must have been about, I don't know, including its tail, it must have been about mm-hmm. four foot long. So it was quite a big lizard. And I stopped and the person with me, I said, shh, shh don't move, look. And suddenly there was this scream and it was like, what, what? And, and she said, it's free. I said, what do you mean it's free? She says, it's free. It's... I said, of course it is. It lives here. And she was expecting to see everything in a cage. <laughs> yeah. Because usually you do. Just, you know, she couldn't fathom it was free. I couldn't quite get <laughs> a head around it. a cage. <laughs> <laughs> and she scared the damn thing off, so it ran off. So <laughs> Four foot long as well. That's quite big, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, they're, they're quite big, aren't they, to um, get your head around if you see them in the wild. I know because I remember when I was in Israel, um, you just see tortoises just roaming around. And for me as a kid, we used to have tortoises or that actually we didn't, but our neighbour had one. And I think back then, which is not really not done anymore, is um, they had a little bit of string in it generally to keep it in the garden. <laughs> But um, but obviously it got loose and it's running off, you mean? <laughs> 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Running Galloping away. into the distance. Galloping off into the distance. And it arrived in the garden. And that was like, oh, there's next door's, because you knew it was, because it yeah. was next door's tortoise. Whereas over there, they're just sort of, that's it. You're just walking along and then you just see this tortoise. So yeah, that's where they're meant to be, isn't it, animals? And you sort of think, oh, there's not a name written on it. Yeah, or a dot. At least have a dot on it. <laughs> yes, or return to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but talking of tortoises, I do remember being down in the uh, down on the Ascension Island. I was working with the Joint Americans and myself, uh, yeah. and we had carte blanche to go anywhere we wanted. And and I do remember that one of the chaps down there taking me. Uh, you know, you sort of the the greenback turtles massive mm-hmm. things you know huge you can sit on them and ride on them if you wanted to yeah not that i would but uh but yeah they've been laying their eggs and they were hatching and and i remember me and his son and daughter we were doing the old saving the turtles and you know they're only sort of they're like matchbox size maybe a little bigger and and you're sort of picking them up to stop all the birds getting them and trying to take them down yeah, to the sea tiny. and saving the saving the turtles yeah, that's lovely. Yeah. Oh, and what a nice story to end with. Yeah. They're really, really cute, aren't they? Little they are. turtles yeah. running down to the sea. Oh, well done, you. Pat <laughs> yourself on the back. <laughs> oh, Greg, it's been so good talking to you about your life because even though we've known each other for quite a long time, there's lots of bits in there that I didn't know. So yeah. it's really nice to talk to you about all of that. But we've come to an end. Well, thank now. you for, for chatting to me. I don't think anybody will find it too interesting, but hey, I've enjoyed it. Thank you. No, no, it's really interesting. I'll just edit most of it out. Only joking. <laughs> anyway. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, thanks, mate. I'm going to speak to you soon. Um, stand on the line. We'll have a little chat after this. Oh, thanks, Greg. It was really nice to talk to you. And as many conversations as we've had in the past, I learned a lot during that chat. So thanks so much. It was lovely to hear how your choices have led you to where you want to be and that you're appreciating your walking and how much it has improved your fitness. I'm very much looking forward to joining you on the hill soon. I hope you enjoyed that episode and if you did, please feel free to hop on over to Apple Podcasts to rate and leave a review. It really does make a difference. And if you are thinking of quitting the booze for a while, I can highly recommend it. The app, Dry January and Beyond, and the Facebook page of the same name will give you all the support you need to reach your goal. You won't regret it. So for now, and I hope not too long, take care and enjoy your own walking. Bye.